This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steuben. My name is Grace and I'm a blogger and I run a website called Design Sponge. So Design Sponge is a design blog that I founded when I was 23, so in 2004. I was living in Brooklyn at the time and it was right when the Brooklyn design scene was really exploding, but nobody was writing about it. It was just a lot of people writing about fancy, expensive designers and no one was writing about all of the cool, like young kids making stuff out of found materials. And I was seeing that on my street everywhere. So I just started taking pictures of things and writing about it on a blog because nobody else was. And I think it was in the right place at the right time with the right look. And it really just took off in a way I never could have predicted. And I think now kids coming out of college know they could probably start a website or a YouTube channel and make money off of it and make it a job. But I really thought it would just be a way to get a quote unquote real job, I thought, oh, if I keep this, it's a portfolio and I can use this to apply for a writing job one day. And it ended up becoming the stable writing job I didn't know I could have. And so now I've been doing it for 12 years and it's kind of changed from a website about furniture and product design to a site mainly about the people behind those objects. So everything was like really going smoothly at work and I feel like I had it under control and then this giant wrench got thrown in things. Can I ask how old you are? Sure, I'm 35. Which is a really late diagnosis. Yes, which is why nobody thought I had it at first. So talking about that, January of this year, you start feeling weird. What sort of symptoms are you are you noticing? Well, I started feeling sick probably late November, early December of the year before. But I tend to be somebody who kind of burns the candle like at both ends in terms of working really hard. And so I thought I was just tired. And whenever you feel run down, everyone just says, oh, you're tired, get more sleep. And the holidays rolled around. I got a lot of sleep. I still didn't feel any better. And I think right after Christmas, I was back home and I went to see a movie with my wife and we were sitting there and I went to cross my legs and I didn't have the energy to cross my legs. And I remember thinking, this is not normal. I've gone from tired to something's physically wrong with my muscles. And we had just moved to upstate New York and didn't have a doctor anymore. So I made the very first appointment I could make with the doctor wasn't for two months. And I knew that something was really wrong. And in our part of upstate New York, Lyme disease is really prevalent. And so I thought maybe that's what this is. And so if I mentioned that, they'll squeeze me in. So I did. And I fibbed a little bit and was like, maybe it's Lyme. I don't know. And so I got in really quickly and they looked at me, were like, oh, you're relatively thin. You look healthy. You're probably fine. This is totally in your head. And I had to really push them. And they ended up testing me for a billion different things, including like the West Nile virus. (laughs) I said, my dad has type two. Could this be diabetes? And they said, no, you look healthy. Like, it's definitely not type two. And then when my test came back and I think my A1C was like 14 or something, and he was like, oh, it's definitely type two. And I like burst into tears and was like, great. Okay. This is the rest of my life. That was how it started. So your dad is type two. Do you call him up and you're like, hey, look, we both have type two now? I did. My parents were the first people I called and I'm an only child. So those calls happen all the time. And I called my mom and she was totally in shock. And my dad was just very apologetic and was like, I'm so sorry you have to deal with this. But, you know, you take your pill, you move on. Like, 
that's it. It's not that big of a deal. And I was like, okay, like I'll take my metformin. And I remember that was the first night of taking it and not realizing it would ravage my system. And me plus metformin just equals nightmare. What was that like? The worst stomach pain I've ever had in my entire life. And I didn't even realize they should have started me on a small dose and then built me up to the full dose. But they started me on like the largest dose you could have possibly taken. And I just spent like an entire night doubled over in pain and then had to call my doctor and said, can I please, please, please back down to like a starter dose and then work my way up. And eventually nothing was working anyway. So thankfully I got to stop taking that. Were you waiting for the alien to... burst out of your chest. It was that bad. It was one of those things where I was just like pacing around the house and we have dogs and they were just following me around. They could tell something was wrong. And I just thought, if this is the rest of my life, I I don't know how this is going to work. And I happened to have a friend, Sarah Jensen, who's the creative director at Beyond Type 1. And she texted me and said, there's this thing happening now where adults are misdiagnosed and you should really insist they test you. And I insisted that with my doctor and he just flat out refused and was like, this isn't complicated. Your diabetes isn't complicated. So that began my process of becoming my own healthcare advocate and really pushing to get retested. And I had to go into Manhattan and go two hours south to find a different endocrinologist who agreed to test me. And all the antibodies came back positive. And he looked at me and was like, I can tell you right now, you don't have type two. And so that day, everything kind of changed. And I went back to my GP who initially diagnosed me. He was totally shocked. And he was like, I don't think that's possible. Adults don't get type one. And I was like, actually, they do. And it was this weird, terrifying moment of realizing that doctors who I just inherently trust to know everything don't always know everything. And I think that was honestly the scariest mind shift, even more than like living with type one was just this idea of not every doctor is going to know exactly what to do. Especially when it comes to diabetes. Especially. <laughs> when you find out you have type 1, is that a relief? It was. It actually was. At that point, I had already begun to suspect that I did. I really wanted the tools to be able to manage it. I was starving myself and wasn't eating and was feeling like, is this the rest of my life? All I can eat is salad all the time and I'll never be able to have normal numbers. And it was a basically a game of how many times a day do I have to take a fast walk just to keep my numbers vaguely within range. And that's when I realized I don't have all the tools I should have. And that's when I really, really pushed for an endocrinologist that understood what I was going through. And it took me three doctors to get one that I really trusted and loved. Is it smooth sailing after that? <laughs> no. It was followed by then having to visit a string of doctors to confirm that there wasn't anything else going on because I was having, I had vision problems, but like really wacky vision problems, not the typical type one. Like it wasn't just that my vision was a little blurry. I was having a hard time focusing. So anytime I looked at an object, it got bigger and then smaller and then bigger and then smaller. It was really disturbing. And throughout my life, I'd had a smattering of neurological symptoms that no doctor could ever figure out. So I went back to my GP and he thought it's a possibility this could be MS. So I started getting testing for that. And then they said, you know, you're having some other like breathing issues. Maybe we should have you checked out for heart problems since maybe you've had this for a while. So I had to go to a cardiologist and then I went to a thyroid specialist at Columbia 
who had a team of 12 doctors look at my thyroid. So there's some other thyroid thing that's still yet to be figured out. But that was sort of the beginning of, oh, crap, this is not going to be a clear cut answer. It's going to be like a lot of patience, a lot of kind of letting things settle back down after my body was so out of whack for a while. And I had a cardiologist who walked in and again, insisted that adults couldn't have type one. And I calmly reminded him that they could. And then he was, well, you know, these problems you're having, they could be your heart. I see diabetics drop dead all the time without any symptoms. And that was my introduction to the world of doctors who know nothing about type one and have so little compassion or understanding for what that's like. So it took a while to really find a team of doctors that I felt really comfortable with. Yeah. It's definitely that saying, you know, it takes a village. I saw somewhere on some like diabetes message board where someone said it's getting a full-time job you didn't sign up for. And that's very much what it feels like to me. It's just, it's this other thing that is just always on in my brain, whether it's what I'm eating or drinking or how much exercise or which doctor I need to go to for a checkup. There's just so many things to constantly keep in balance. And I'm only eight months in. So I feel like now everyone I know who has type one, who's had it for any amount of time longer than I have, I just have this immediate utmost respect and compassion for what life is like for them. How are you doing mentally at this point in time? Right now, I feel pretty good. But that January through March were probably some of the most difficult months of my life so far, which was just the adjustment of, am I going to die when I'm 45? I really thought like, okay, my life has just been like cut in half. Like that's it. There's some really scary stuff you can read online if you Google, you know, type one and adult diagnosis. And I just I didn't know what to believe. It was a real like, what have I done to deserve this? What did I do wrong? This is definitely because I ate cake all the time. Like I had all of those thoughts in my head. And then I think it's easy to to fall into that. And I have no judgment for anybody who does. And for myself, I just kind of realized that that was part of the process. And sort of grieving your old self and the sort of guilt you feel, even though it, you know, you know, it really wasn't your fault. Yeah. And that's that was a really hard thing, especially with my dad having type two and just everyone confuses the two of them. And I still get people who are like, oh, you did always eat a lot of cookies, that sort of thing, which no one does intentionally to hurt your feelings, but it does sting. So that was a rough patch. But I started going back into just regular old talk therapy. And that made a huge, huge difference. Just having somebody to talk to that wasn't my wife or a friend or a neighbor that already had to hear enough about it that I just I needed a place where I could kind of dump all of that in a non-judgmental place and so that was really really helpful and then I started finding all of those private Facebook groups that exist for type 1 athletes or type 1 whatever there's a private Facebook group for any type of type 1 person so joining those and talking to somebody really kind of gave me a place to like let all of those fears get out into the air and then let them go. And so, you know, after a few months of that, I started feeling more like myself, but I really did feel like old me died and I had to really accept this new version of life. And it took a while. Well, it's really scary. It's terrifying. Usually when people think about having their old self die and a new one come out, it's because something great has happened. Yeah. And it's usually not because the old one died in a you know burning flame. <laughs> yeah. And when you start talking to other people with type one, what's their message like? Are you still getting a lot of that negative stuff at the time? Or are you sort of seeing 
the other side of type one? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that depending on who you're talking to and at what point in their process or on what point of their day, I think you can find people who don't seem to have much of a fear about long-term complications, or you can find people who are obsessed with that 24-7. And I think at the height of me being terrified, I found myself in a group of people who just spent all day, every day obsessing over zero carb eating and never having a number over like 95. And I got into that mindset of the second I go above 95, I'm going to have a heart attack. That's what's going to happen. And so it really was a slow process of I need to expand the types of voices that I'm listening to. And then once I started reaching out a little bit more and finding different groups with slightly more positive outlooks or people who've lived with it for longer, that was really helpful. And there are a couple people in the type one athletes group that I belong to who are in their like early 70s who've lived with it since they were like, you know, eight years old and just hearing them being alive is, is a wonderful, positive thing. And then to see them be so active is really wonderful. And, you know, they're not all 100% healthy all the time, but I think that's a realistic way to look at life. And most people in their 70s aren't 100% healthy either. So I think just having a wide range of people with a wide range of experiences to listen to is really helpful. And so now where do you think you fall on that spectrum of can't be over 95 at any time or just sort of, you know, who cares about type one? I'm just going to do whatever I want. Well, I'm well over 95 most of the time. (laughs) Um, I I think at least for right now, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. I would love to have lower numbers than I typically do, but because this is all still so new to me and I'm figuring out how exercise affects me, how this is summer right now and how heat affects me has been really dramatic. So I'm still figuring all that stuff out. So I feel a lot more calm about all that. I also changed my Dexcom alert to not be that terrifying noise that's the high (laughs) alert. And I changed it to that sort of like salsa marembe sound, which makes me feel like a lot happier. (laughs) That's a great idea. Maybe I should do that too. It's so negative. It's It's like this terrible like warning noise. And uh, we were on vacation in Florida a couple weeks ago and I just kept getting like double arrows up no matter what. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was like, if I have to hear that like scary horn noise one more time, I'm going to lose it. And then I was like, wait, this is just like an iPhone. You can change the ringer alert. And so I found that like silly little one that I think is called like tick a tick a tick or something. And I changed it to that. And now I just feel like it's a funny song and it just kind of makes me laugh. And then I correct and then move on. Well, the default makes it sound like you're dying. And maybe it's that's terrifying. why we get so scared yeah. when we hear that because we're like, oh, wow, we are dying. And it's yeah. sort of this feedback loop mm-hmm. of we hear the sound and then that makes us more scared than we should be. And I mean, for me, I've noticed how what a big role adrenaline plays in my numbers. I mean, just for everybody, but that seems to be one of the biggest factors for me is whether or not I'm like nervous or stressed out or even if it's like psyching up for a big workout or something. I just have a really hard time managing my numbers in that state of mind. So realizing I needed to change the way I got that blood sugar number information in a way that felt non-judgmental and panic-inducing was a helpful change. And how long... After you were diagnosed, did you get a Dexcom? It took a while. I had two endocrinologists refuse to approve it for me. How come? One was like, you just don't need that. It's too new. You won't understand it. It was weird because they had encouraged me to look into that. So I signed up for it. And then I signed up for that and for information about an Omnipod. And then when I heard from both of those, and surprisingly, both were approved by my insurance, which was amazing, 
And then my doctor came back and was like, I think you're a little too into your numbers and you pay a little too much attention. So I think giving you this technology is going to make you spiral. And I had to very calmly insist that I would like to at least have the chance. So they agreed to let me have a trial. And it was night and day. Having a Dexcom on my arm, I felt like I could sleep easily. I felt calmer. I wasn't constantly wondering like the biggest problem I had was I would eat dinner like have insulin and then go for a dog walk and then I would plummet on the dog walk because of the insulin while I was walking and I had no idea why that was happening and I couldn't tell I would just be halfway in the dog walk and then feel like I was going to pass out so getting that basic information has actually made me so much calmer Hmm. did you ever go through a point where you were like when you first got the Dexcom that you were staring at it 24 7 and yeah totally I still stare at it all the time. I mean, not 24-7 anymore, which is good, but but a lot. But partially just because I'm someone who loves information. And I think I just had a hard time explaining that to a doctor because I think I understand anyone sort of going a little overboard and being a little too obsessed with it because it's easy to do that. But I found that information so empowering and to be able to know you know, foods I eat commonly, how they affect me or how caffeine affects me or heat or whatever – It was just valuable information to help me make better choices the next time. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted tools and like some sense of control, which is sometimes laughable because you can try your best and it won't make any difference because I don't want to have all the things I love taken out of my life. And this gives me a tool to be able to like work those things into my life in a way that still works. The way I feel now about my health in general versus the way I felt like in even just May, it's night and day. After the break... Grace talks about the difficulties and advantages of running a small company while having type 1. And I ask her why she decided to come out about her diagnosis online. Betacell is partnering with JDRF to release a four-part T1D Looks Like Me series in November for National Diabetes Awareness Month. Each week, we'll explore a new theme that focuses on some of the challenges that come along with type 1 diabetes. One of these themes is what having type 1 is like in school, and we need your help. We want to know what are some of the perks you get because you have type 1. For instance, in high school, I got to skip gym classes on days I went low. Pretty awesome, right? Record your story on the Voice Memo app on your phone and email it to social at jdrf.org. Kind of scary for me to think about how long I've had type one, which isn't even that long compared to most people or some people. Yeah. But I feel like I still learn new things almost every day about my type one and mm-hmm. how it works within my body and my life. I kind of get sick of it. I kind of want it <laughs> to just all be figured out and I have to stop learning things. But it's like every day I'm relearning because something else, you know, there's always some factor that changes. I mean, when I was first diagnosed and then I was introduced to the whole concept of like the honeymoon period and then I was like, wait, that's a thing. I have to, oh, great. Like now I have to wait for this other phase to end and then readjust and then the older I get or whether or not I work out or not will also change how those things work. And it was just realizing like, okay, this is never going to be something I can just set it and forget it. It's just always going to be something you have to pay attention to. But it's one of the few places where my work life has been really beneficial for my diabetes life because 
I've been running my business for 12 years now. And if there's anything I've learned, it's that there's never a place where everything's running perfectly, no matter how well things go. It's just a whole new set of problems that show up every time you hit a new milestone. And it's just always sort of course correcting a little bit. And so when I thought about it that way, I realized I'm familiar with this. Like I'm familiar with this way of living of like every year, or every few months having to like really check in, see how things are going, you know, change the dials a little bit and see what works and then move forward. So being able to see it from that perspective has been really helpful. What has having type one been like having your own business and the challenges of being, you know, a small business owner, you don't have the advantage of being on like a huge corporate healthcare plan, the costs of type one, and then also being the boss of a small team and you're checking your Dexcom all the time. How has that changed the way Design Sponge works? Well, for starters, I'm so lucky that I run a small company because I disappeared off the face of the earth for the first like three months I was diagnosed. I just fell into like a huge black hole and like could not get out. And if I had had a regular job at an office, I probably would have gotten fired because I just could not handle anything. And I was really fortunate that I have a really tiny team of people who were like, "Okay, Grace is drowning. We're going to step in while she gets her footing. I don't think that would have happened at a regular office job. So I feel really, really lucky that I have the job I have because I can work my day around if I'm having a rough day or need like a half day to just figure out what's going on with my numbers. I can do that. And I'm really lucky for that. But now I don't have like a huge corporate healthcare plan, which would be awesome. But I have a decent one. But the costs of diabetes are just outrageous. And I constantly, constantly think about how incredibly lucky I am that I even have health insurance and that I have a doctor that's within a decent amount of distance from me or that I have access to endocrinologists because the fact that I could even go to three endocrinologists to find the right one. I mean, I constantly talk to people on Facebook who are four hours away from one endocrinologist they can't see for like six months. And so I try to put it in perspective constantly that no matter how frustrated I am with the cost of test strips or how long it takes to get into a doctor that I still can. So that helps put it in perspective a little bit. You decide to come out as type one publicly on your, at least on your Facebook Mm -hmm. page, however public that is. Why did you decide to do that? I think because I've lived my life online for the last 12 years, it was never a question in my mind that I would do that. It was just a matter of when. And I think I've done so many huge life things publicly, whether it was get married and then get divorced and then come out of the closet and then get married and then come out as type one. Like all of these big life events have happened online for me and it just feels normal to do that. But I've always waited until I felt incredibly ready to deal with whatever the blowback was, because that's the biggest thing I've learned from living online is, you know, if you put that information out there prepare for it to be editorialized in some way. No matter how many followers you have, someone will have an opinion about the thing you just went through. So I really waited until I felt comfortable enough to deal with people either not understanding it or just being like, wait, have you had cinnamon pills? You can be cured, like that sort of thing. So I think I really waited until I felt like, okay, I feel really alone right now. So if I can step forward and put this out here, maybe there's one other person reading who also has never told anybody and maybe we can talk to each other and that's always been my mentality with living online was when you're ready, if you feel comfortable sharing information, it's a chance to connect with other people who understand where you're coming from or to give them a little bit of hope. And for the most part, I was really so bowled over by the response and how many people were like, 
I was misdiagnosed or, you know, their spouse was misdiagnosed or their kids had it. And it was just a nice way to like have that instant connection with somebody. And it is this thing that like you have this instant understanding of what it's like to deal with all that. So being open about it just feels like a natural thing. Seems like it was mostly positive reactions you got. A lot of my family and friends still don't quite understand what type one is or the difference or just say like, oh, it's so sad. You can't have ice cream anymore. And I'm like, sometimes I have the energy to explain why that's not true. And sometimes I don't. And it's just sometimes it's not that big of a deal. But I think there are people who just totally don't understand it. And I try to be patient and explain those things because I know how frustrating it is to hear that. And especially for people who have type one who are younger, I think that can be really devastating to have somebody just fundamentally misunderstand what your life is like. And being 35, I have a little bit more maturity, maybe not a lot more, but a little bit more maturity to like be able to let those things roll off my back. But I think taking that second to help someone understand if it helps them later on down the line, not say that to somebody else, that's a valuable moment for me. Well, it's only by addressing all the misconceptions that we can sort of correct the dialogue about type one in people's minds. Yeah, like cinnamon pills. If someone just stop with the cinnamon pills. Oh, man. If you just haven't you heard the cinnamon pills can cure it, just take these. And I'm like, no, that doesn't work. But have you tried it? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> I did. I bought a giant thing of cinnamon pills when I got diagnosed or misdiagnosed with type two. And I was like, this is going to solve everything. And then I brought them into the first endocrinologist and he just laughed and he was like, yeah, that's not doing anything for you. Do you think that your background and experience with design changed how you look at type one? That's interesting. I've never thought about that. Well, I think I realized right away that there weren't a lot of websites and groups that kind of integrated diabetes, whether it was, you know, gear or accessories or branding in a way that felt cool and young to me. And then I discovered beyond type one and like Libby's shirt that you're wearing right now. And I think there are groups that are doing that now in a way that makes it feel kind of cool. Like the shirt you're wearing that's Libby's, it's a cool shirt, period. Like it looks cool, even if you don't even understand what a pump is or anything. But then I think it makes it kind of cool to be proud of what you're dealing with or what you've gone through in a way that I think is nice. And I think most of the like t-shirts or stickers or branding that I've seen for other diabetes-based groups, I wouldn't want to put that on my laptop or anything. It just doesn't look fun and cool and interesting. And so there is something about making all those things seem more visually interesting that's that's important. And especially I think if I was young and dealing with this, I would really want cool things that made me feel like this isn't a weird part of who I am. It's like a cool, different part of who I am. And the skins you can put on your Dexcom or on your Omnipod mm -hmm. or your pump or meter to just make it not look so medical. I think anything you can do to take the like medical nature away from stuff is really important. Like I just finally bought a cool bag to put all of my testing equipment in and all of my pens and whatever. And I had just been putting them like in a plastic zip bag in my purse. And it was like every time I'd open my purse, I was like, well, here's the drugstore in my bag. It still made me feel really weird, for lack of a better word. And now I feel like it just looks like a makeup bag or something. And I don't really wear makeup, but it feels like my version of that now. And so... That makes me feel a little bit more normal. I was just reminded I was on the bus 
the other day taking the bus from where we live upstate into Manhattan and I realized I had eaten more than I should have while I was waiting for the bus and I was like, oh crap, I need to take a shot. But I was on a crowded bus full of people and there was nowhere I could turn that like wouldn't be super out in the open. And I was seated next to this nice woman and I like pulled out my pen and I could see her look at it and I was like, oh crap, is she going to think I'm like doing something illegal? And I just looked at her and I was like, I'm really sorry, I have diabetes, I need to take a shot. And then she just looked at me and she goes, oh, don't ever apologize for that. My daughter has type one. And then we had this two and a half hour conversation about their journey in that. And she just basically was like, please don't ever apologize. Don't ever feel sorry for that. And it was this really sweet moment of, oh, you're right. Okay. I won't like, it was just really nice. And it was again, like that instant connection. And we didn't even like get each other's names until we got off the bus. Betacell is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing, and our theme music is by Purple Glitter. Grace has a new book, In the Company of Women, which will be in stores on October 4th. If you want one of Libby's t-shirts that Grace mentioned, you can find them at Libby's blog, IHaveTheSugars.com. And if you want to see a picture of me wearing that shirt with Robin Arzan from episode 7, you can find it by following Beta Cell on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Beta Cell Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Beta Cell on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and then the NPR One app to get new episodes delivered automatically to you. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell.